Well, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Chad Griffiths. I'm the host of the Industrial Real Estate Show. And just before I get started with uh, this week's interview, just wanted to give a quick note about the situation happening in Ukraine right now. Uh, I recognize that a podcast talking about commercial real estate is far uh, from being as important as the issues going on in the Ukraine right now. And my, my heart goes out to everybody in the Ukraine and Ukrainians living all over the world. I hope that there's a peaceful resolution to this sooner than later. I can't imagine what everybody's going through. We're still continuing to do on this show because uh, as you guys know, I'm super passionate about talking about industrial real estate and investing. And my podcast producer, Wyatt and I uh, book guests weeks, sometimes months in advance. And I'm really excited to talk uh, to this week's guest, uh, who I saw on a, on another channel, a friend of mine, Rafael Coezo, who has a podcast, he interviewed her a few months ago talking about self-storage. And it's an awesome story because Masha has a uh, started in investing in self-storage, bought a property in, in North Carolina and then moved to Florida or to Texas to buy another one. She lives in Florida and it's a fascinating story about how passionate and dedicated she is about the uh, self-storage business. So I'm really excited to, to introduce you to Masha and Wyatt, if you can uh, bring Masha on. Masha, thanks so much for joining me on the call. Chat, so great, grateful to be here with you and sharing with your guests. Hope they find some value in this show. Well, I know that I'll certainly find some value because I love talking about real estate for one thing, but I also am just very curious about self-storage because self-storage is, is, is a niche industry in, in itself. Whereas like 20 years ago, it wouldn't have, people wouldn't even have thought of it being this organized, uh, almost like an institutional grade investment where now there's big real estate investment trusts and big groups that are, are pursuing this as an investment strategy now. But I think that there's still a really good opportunity for private investors like yourself to to pursue self-storage so i'm fascinated to get into your background on how you 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 have two now right well one in north carolina and one one in yes. texas at the moment we have two and right now pursuing third project in a hot in columbus ohio oh congrats and actually building building one Oh, so you're okay. Well, we'll jump into that as well because I'm sure, very curious sure. to, to hear about that so first question how, how did you get started what was the appeal with getting into self-storage uh i was look i was Pursuing, I was a little bit involved with uh, real estate investing, the residential part of it. Uh, my ex-broker, uh, when I was a real estate sales agent, was doing some flipping project. And long, to make long story short, uh, at some point, uh, he disappeared. And the money invested disappeared. And uh, so he, in a way, stole the money. And it was a great first experience of real estate investing. So after that, I thought, oh. I will never do real estate investing, right? You burned out. This is a bad thing to do. But after a couple of years, I realized there's no better vehicle to build wealth or to build that uh, income. And uh, it's just real estate. And we all know. And while pursuing back to residential, I discovered, oh, there's commercial part of it. Interesting. Oh, it's not only with for billionaires to do commercial real estate. Maybe I can do it. And I, at the moment, I asked my residential real estate investing coach, can I pursue that? Can I, can, can I switch to commercial? Maybe I wasn't sure at the moment, was it multifamily, mobile home parks or self-storage? And she told me, mm, not really. First, you have to be doing heavily flipping, heavy like rentals, buying hold, maybe wholesaling. And then maybe a couple of years you can pursue commercial. And um I decided not to really listen to her and go talk to self-storage investors, mobile home park, park investors. And what I discovered that 
you never know. You never know what you can get. Just try it out. And I decided to try it out. I started exploring which asset class to now in commercial space. And uh, I even looked into uh, my boyfriend. He was interested by warehousing. And uh, uh, then I find out, oh, there's self-storage. Oh, self-storage requires less management, less maintenance. Oh, it's like a business. You do still marketing. You just rent out space. Oh, there's no tenant laws as there's no, you can auction out, auction out people in one month. And like, look at it all. You can automate it. And I love automating things. And uh, after that, I was, okay, let me just do self-storage. And that was when COVID started. So you got you got into it then, what, early 2020? Is that when you yes. bought the first property? No, so, it's I, this is when I decided to pursue self-storage. So Right, it, right in COVID, yep. Yes, yeah, so that's when I... Uh, just realized that that's what I want to do. Uh, but it took uh, uh, later on uh, than when we bought our first facility. Cool. I, I see Neil just uh, joined in. He said he's excited to learn about self-storage. Neil, thanks for joining in. And I saw a question pop up from uh, from Darren, which actually leads me to a, a, another question as well. And I'd invite anyone that has questions for, for Masha as we're going through this, just type it into the chat and we'll try to uh, address as many questions as we can. Uh, but to uh, to Darren's question there, uh, Wyatt, if you don't mind pulling that up again, uh, self-storage, is it essentially industrial position to the public? Interesting question. So... If you're looking in self-storage, I would say compare it more to multifamily. So you have like units, you're renting it to, to tenants. So you have multifamily where you rent apartments or you have storage, you just rent it or lease it to a, just an empty space for tenants. And they have the differences. You have month-to-month -month leases where in multifamily you usually have year, yearly leases, depending. And it's really similar in that perspective. If you look at an industrial, actually self-storage itself has typically two types of customers. Is uh, somebody who just personal belongings or business belongings. So those type of business belongings could be similar to maybe industrial, where someone who has, uh, for example, we have a, um, a medical uh, care center. They have four units uh, uh Two large units, which is 10 by 25, and uh, two smaller, they have they're storing their medical records. And some of their, I don't know, I honestly don't even know, and I don't need to know what they're storing, but I know they're they're more our commercial that client, right? But it's still more positioned to um the uh some people also use, for example, shipping, uh Amazon, eBay, a lot of people start shipping their products, they don't want to be storing at home. So there are small businesses, smaller businesses use it a self-storage, probably similar to like warehousing, just renting smaller units. So it's kind of a combo, I would say, between multifamily and industrial. It's a combo of multifamily and industrial together probably comes something like self-storage. Yeah, very interesting. So when I guess one thing I want to explore with you is the difference between cold storage and heated or climate controlled storage. Do you, do you have a preference on which one you pursue or is one easier? Does one lease for more? Like what, what are the differences between heated climate controlled and cold storage? Most definitely. I mean, looking at how, where you want to, it's what's the market needs. Honestly, you can be thinking, oh, what do I want? If what do you want? Do you want to make the most per square foot per dollar? So 
talking about to usually cell storage is differentiated climate control and non-climate control. So mm -hmm. climate control is those uh, in the bigger buildings where you come in and you find those that's climate control, simple or drive up units. You typically drive up units are the ones that non-climate controlled. So per square foot, this is how we measure really income. Uh, and when you buy uh, facilities, we don't buy them per unit like multifamily or how much did you buy per unit? No, we buy per square foot. So per square foot, you make more for climate control, obviously, because you offer climate control. Uh, also, smaller units bring you more um, income, but you really need to analyze what's the market needs. If you are building somewhere or you're buying a facility somewhere in a tertiary market where people are having their trucks and they want to just simple store their big like items, whatever stuff, and they don't care about is the climate control or not. They just want to drive in in their truck and drop all their stuff and leave. Mm -hmm. Where if you're looking more in a uh, urban area, suburban, uh, and depending on what type of uh, items you want to store, then you want to go for climate controlled. So my two current facilities are non-climate control, and the one we're looking into building is definitely will be climate control because there is high demand for both type, but we can make more money with the climate control. I guess the there's some trade-off as well that if you're making more for smaller units or you're making more for climate controlled, you also have potentially higher costs, whether that's more management just because you're managing more smaller tenants than one or two larger ones. And then if it's climate controlled, there's just more things that can go wrong. There's more maintenance costs. So you really do have to evaluate those side by side. If someone was considering investing in real estate, would you just suggest determining what the competition is doing? Or how would you identify opportunities uh, where, where perhaps there is a gap? How, how would you do that on like a micro level in an individual market? Totally. So honestly, nothing really matters, but analyzing your competition as much. So in your small radi radius, you typically can discover what's going on. People won't be driving 10 miles away to store the items. They just want what they will do. Typically, they go on their phone, they look storage near me on Google, and they mm -hmm. look at anything around them. And they will call their first facility, the first facility that has uh, the size that they want, they will most likely even rent there. So what's happening there is that they're not going to be shopping around like for, let's say, for an apartment uh, they're not going to be shopping around so much. They just want something that's going to work for them, that near them. That So that's why doing that competitor analysis, you, typically you look at the three-mile radius, five-mile radius, and look at how they're doing. Are there right now? Sometimes you're looking at the market and all their climate control. You can't find any units in climate control. Mm. This is what you should build. If you're looking around and there's like an hour, uh, the second Texas uh, deal, there was no availability for larger units, pretty much. Anything that goes 10, 10 by 10 or 10 by 15 and up was pretty much impossible to find. But they have a bunch of uh, 5 by 5, 5 by 10s or smaller units you were able to find. So if you're thinking from perspective, oh, I want to make the most amount of money, oh, let me build the smallest because 5 by 5s make the most money, you will fail in that market. Because you want actually to offer the 10 by 10, 10 by 15, or 10 by 30, mm -hmm. uh, and even maybe 10 by 40, depending. So it's really calling around, seeing 
where there's what's the occupancy like we call it mystery shopping so yeah. now when i used to do it now i have my virtual assistants helping me in doing that they call um the company says, hello, I'm looking to rent a, a unit. Maybe I'm coming with my mom. Maybe we need this type of size of unit. We are not. So you're kind of calling really blurry. You're not giving them exactly what you're looking for, but you want to get as much information from them. Oh, you know what? We don't have this. Oh, we don't have. Maybe tomorrow we have this unit going to open up. And you start getting that feel of occupancy. Mm -hmm. And again, this is where if they're offering you a bunch of units, they have all sizes available all amount of sizes available. This is a scary market. It means they unable to fill up. So their occupancy stays low and you getting in the market fighting against everybody so hungry, getting customers. It's a failure most likely, but in those markets where there's limited amount of units available, that's a potentially hot market. Very interesting. And, and I suppose that that also gives you insight into the rates that they're charging, whether they're renting out a 10 by 10 oh, for X amount. You, I'm sure you're compiling all that data. That's as well. exactly what we do. That's what we right away. I compile in a spreadsheet, all the sizes available, uh, putting it on an average amount and then mm -hmm. seeing what it is per square foot actually they're charging. So what I realized, we were planning on expanding on building more units on our first project. And it took me several months to understand it. Oh, it doesn't really make sense because the income per square foot is low. We only had about, so to a little bit understand, about 65 cents per square foot per month we're making in the market. Where you go to Miami, they're probably making here, I don't know, two or three bucks. So wow. I mean, this is just like kind of a rough example. But now in Ohio, in this project, we're looking at about $1.15. So building the same pretty much project will cost you not the same but similar because buildings the same labor obviously will be different site work will be different but let's say if we're taking the same type of uh le similar land similar land size and similar project it will cost the same but the income is almost twice lower so it takes you twice longer to get your returns back so building what I analyze is talking to experts also who have done it. it you should be building somewhere where it's at least $1 per square foot per month. So when you do the competitor analysis and the number comes up less than that, beware, be careful. Hmm. I, I do want to talk more about that development that you guys are pursuing as well, but perhaps even take me right back to the beginning. What, what, what was your experience with the first uh, self-storage property you bought in North Carolina? Oh, yes, it was an existing facility. Uh, it uh, came from wholesaler. However, the wholesaler uh, was not getting back to me. And at the, at the end, dropped the contract saying, oh, the investors wanted lower price. The buyer, the, the seller wanted higher price. We didn't, they didn't, they couldn't sell it. Like, he didn't even give me a chance to offer, but that's fine. I pursued the seller himself and we were able to get the property. And the most beautiful part after seven months, seven, eight months, we were nearly doubling the value of the facility. Wow. Good for yes. you. Yes, yes. And my investors and partners are super happy. So that was a, and the funny part, remember that other people didn't want to buy that. Hmm. Other people didn't see the opportunity. So sometimes looking at opportunities, some people don't see those opportunities. So what did it, you, what did you see that others didn't see? I mean, opportunity of the market, opportunity of uh, raising rents, because this project didn't have already um, 
it was already a lot automated. So it was a lot automated and there was a lot, a lot of that value add added. So typically we want to find some mom and pop that's they don't know what they're doing. Like my second one, they're still signing leases in the office. They still having a property manager picking up the phone and answering at some random times instead of having call center in place. So the second one, we require more adding that real value, like adding value of automation and simplifying the business and making the business uh, smart, right? Yep. The first one, it was already uh, pretty much upgraded in that manner, but I saw opportunity in the market and seeing that we already were full and uh, just doing some simple adjustments like adding cameras, but nothing was major there. So I knew that there was market was growing and the competition was doing much better and much higher prices. So we just bumped up those rates and right there we start increasing our value. Yeah, well, well done. Congratulations on the on, on doubling it. That you Thank that you. leads me perfectly to the next question that I had for you was automation because I I was always under the assumption that self storage was a heavily management intensive business where you had to have active management. It wasn't passive of just having things automated like like you're suggesting. So how how has that evolved over the last number of years, or perhaps it's even evolving technology still but how have you been able to take it from being like that hands-on mom and pop mom and pop both working physically in the location how have you taken it from that standpoint to being more automated so the beautiful part uh when i start pursuing self-storage i started attending an enormous amount of webinars and uh listening to podcasts and i, I became actually a, a webinar holic at that point. So <laughs> there was, I literally realized at the point, oh my God, I'm living in such a virtual world. I mean, it was COVID time, kind of perfect, yep. but literally, I, so I was learning all about automation and how to be able, because I knew I'm in Miami. I'm not I'm probably not going to be able to buy a facility in Miami. It's so competitive here and prices are ridiculous. You have all this uh, overseas uh, com money coming in. I mean, all this, mm -hmm. it, so what can I do next? Florida, even Florida, like Miami, you can't go really like drive to hours. You're still not getting, you're still in South Florida. So there is not so much opportunities. I realized that I need to open up my horizons and look at the other states. And that's how I was be able to actually get other properties is out of state. So be able to get it out of state. I realized that I don't, I don't trust, how do I say, not trust. Okay. Let me tell you like this human error. We humans just tend to make errors, whether it's by accident or on purpose. So how we can remove that error is to really have the check system very fine. So right now in the facility, we have gate, right? The gate that verifies every customer has their unique code. So we know who is entering, who is leaving. Simple as that. Uh, the next upgrade, and we don't have it yet, but having each unit has a one of the most famous system is no key system. So it's Bluetooth. So you're just coming in, you're just with your phone, you're, you're entering your, uh, your unit and opening up. That's it. And if you don't pay the gate code for, your, to, for you to enter to the facility, you can't because we remove that code. So if you don't pay, you can't enter until you pay. And if you, so that's where it's automates. You don't need to have anybody there doing that uh, process. And when someone's renting, another beautiful part, you just, you again, get it on your Google 
uh, or store near me, go to website, book a unit, sign a lease, put your driver license, uh, and then you receive that code. And that's it. No human involved. Hmm. We have call center. Obviously, there's people have preferences, have issues. So we, there's call center. They That's what they do. They provide call center for storage facilities. They don't do any other type of call centers for anything. So there's a team of people sitting there all day long answering for different properties, uh, specifically for, call, uh, for storage. And it's longer hours. Uh, and it just works. So, and there's voicemail obviously system if they want to reach out later or pay. So it's again, this one requires human interaction, but this is whole center who is specializing in that. So pretty much we only have right now a facility caretaker, but it's not even a manager that comes, checks on units, which are empty, which are open, gives the report. If someone leaves, sweep the unit. And this is pretty much their daily activities and that's it. So. Wow, that's and, that's brilliant! Like it's you've you've removed the onerous part of self management where you have to oversee staff and people have to go and physically hand over things and give them a lock and sign the contract. You've removed oh, yeah, that whole right. element. It's just all virtual now. So you're oh, yes. you're comfortable being in Miami and managing your property in North Carolina and Texas? Super, super comfortable. Uh, honestly, like I don't have a need. I went to North Carolina one, the first one when we were under contract. And uh, when we closed, um, but even getting under contract, I didn't even have to go there. We, we have systems right now and the opportunities such as TaskRabbit. You can hire someone, go see, make videos for you. Go, uh, they call the fa call FaceTime for you. Look at all the uh, facility. You can have an inspector obviously doing already everything, obviously the detailing. I'm not an inspector. I know an inspector will do a better job than me really checking the physical right aspect. Mm -hmm. Then you can, um, at the same time, uh, it's, I'm hiring right now a virtual manager. So I'm gonna train a virtual manager that's gonna be overseeing all these facility caretakers. We'll be putting together whatever is happening and they see it in cameras, whatever they're seeing happening in software, whatever, all those reports together with call center, all that, there's several like kind of check marks uh, that can be, um, uh, for example, facility caretaker. I know that he entered with a gate at that amount of time. I know the cameras can also say at what time they entered. And plus in the software, they also give me a report of what time they entered. So there's three ways to verify and make sure that he exactly entered at that time. So it's having those check marks in several places. It's all connected. And I will be able to even remove myself from pretty much from it completely. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah, that's so exciting. I, I love it how you've, you're, you're owning the physical real estate, but you are the CEO almost of a tech company because you're overseeing all these virtual uh, employees of yours. I, it's brilliant. I love the model on it. It's, I, I'm completely fascinated by it. Uh, so before we get into the development one, are, are you comfortable sharing any numbers or, or perhaps not, maybe not diving too deep into the ones that you already have, but sharing some of the potential that's out there on like what someone could expect on buying a property and then what type of, of returns they can make sure definitely of course so it, what is someone looking at if someone wants to start buying a self-storage and perhaps it's out of state like you said or perhaps they're in a market where where they're already comfortable with it what can they expect in terms of a purchase price and then what can they expect in terms of a return great so purchase price it's storage it can start with two hundred thousand dollars it's just like buying a home uh 
a few just a few units uh you can find i mean i've seen like deals ridiculous small like i mean it's usually those don't make sense like 20 units or 30 units right mm -hmm. i would say something above 50 is good it's also like square footage we don't really again go by units so this is a wrong to share it's really led uh how many units so uh oh, sorry how many uh square footage so in our first facility we have fourteen thousand square feet and our second one twenty thousand square feet the one we will be building and we're kind of going between two pro potential projects either go bigger or smaller and the bigger one is going to be fifty thousand and a smaller one will be uh, 17,000. So uh, looking at the price point, again, you can start with $200,000, a million, um, 5 million. There's facilities that go for several uh, million dollars, can be uh, 50 million. You know, there's huge 500, there's some facilities that have 1,000 units. Hmm. So it's, again, what you're looking for. Right. If we're looking also in storage, um, obviously you can buy, you can expand. This is what we're pursuing first. Or you can build or convert. So my most um, something that I want to do really bad is conversion project is hmm. buying some retail space such as already that's been standing there. It's an empty space. Nobody knows what to do exactly with it, such as, let's say, example, Kmart. Kmart, when they closed, what can you do with it? What can you do really with that space? Storage is a perfect place to convert it into. So those are typically, you can, less material, right? It's much quicker than developing one, and you can get in a market where usually you can't just buy land. So there's different strategies. And those, again, depend. Building uh, facilities, you can just buy an existing facility and uh, add a small facility that can cost you $500,000, right? Um, or you can do a much serious development project and can do it. It can cost anything, again, starting from $2 million, $5 million, 10000000 million, and up. I mean, I haven't looked at anything like really beyond that, but there is people doing some serious stuff. And returns-wise, I mean, it's, again, are you investing actively or passively? Mm -hmm. uh, they're saying that um, self-storage can have great opportunity. We, if talking about IRR, I mean, we you always like multiply two, right? The multiple mm -hmm. two equity for sure. And uh, IRR is typically ab above 17. We're talking we can get easily to 20 and some like more home runs can be 20, uh, 22%. I mean, in our first project, we just we definitely over overdid it. I mean, it was well, you, you doubled top line yes. revenue. Yeah, it makes in the IRR look pretty good. Yes, yeah. So it totally blew our mind. Uh, it was it, but it wasn't as big project either. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't that exciting, but still. Um, so yeah, that's storage typically has exciting returns, but again, where you getting into it's uh, storage also takes quicker time to build than let's say multifamily uh, because there's less detailing going on there, right? Mm -hmm. It's just concrete and uh, concrete and metal. If you think from that perspective. Yeah. You don't have plumbing and washrooms and everything that you'd find in a, in a multifamily suite. So exactly. And then you, besides that is also all those detailing after, you know, make it look yeah. pretty. People live there and storage. People don't leave. They just drop their stuff and go. 
Uh, to the point you made just a few minutes ago about 50 units being kind of like the minimum threshold that, that you'd consider anyways, is that just because of the cost of software and just getting everything, everything up to speed? You have to have a certain amount of scale. Is that why 50 is kind of the number for you? Uh, not, I mean, I would not even go 50. I would go like hundred now mm. units up in a way. It's just like for someone who is looking to, into getting what's happening is you, first of all, obviously what you were saying, the economies of scale, uh, the software will like, there's brackets. So you can pay the same amount of money for the software between like 50 and 200 units. I mean, but the income is so different. It's mm -hmm. like, uh, four times more, right? We yep. have 50 and 200. Uh, the same is with uh, um, paying someone to get the job done. And the same time and efforts you need to put to get it all done. Like yep. buying a facility, it's a process. It's a long, I mean, it's a due diligence. It's checking, it's going, it will take you pretty much the same amount of time as you buying a $200,000 property or you buying a $2 million property. Yep. And then the lending opportunities, um, what's happening is under a million, many lenders don't want to go under a million. And then they're looking at it as a residential and it becomes more like checking as you, uh, not as a property, not as an income, but they're looking more as you as a borrower. And now it becomes, it becomes much harder to lend. So in our first property, it was much harder to find uh, also lending uh, mm -hmm. than in the second one, definitely. So banks, they, again, for banks, for them to do the same amount of work for a small property and a bigger, they will definitely pref, uh, prefer to work with a bigger one. So that a lot of them just say, uh, you know what? We don't, we want to want to deal with that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. you can get private money. This is what we got with our first project. We got private money. So um, it's also was did not have an experience. Banks didn't like, oh, you never done storage. Oh, what are you talking about? You're in Miami. You're going to be buying facility in North Carolina. <laughs> you're ridiculous. No, I wasn't. We doubled the value of property. <laughs> but it, I, we had to go through this. And that's where you have to be prepared for different lending options. Have you taken out that private loan with conventional financing now? Or do you still carry it? We're refinancing right now. Yeah. We, refine, we are in the process right now of uh, actually refining. I mean, uh, we're looking at the different quotes to refinance it. Uh, we, we got also great opportunity as a private money. I won't say it's... It was a great private money opportunity, but now it's time to definitely refinance. Yeah, I'm sure you can get a few hundred basis points lower on your on your takeout loan than what you're paying in private. So your exactly. your profit on that will look even better. Your IRR will look even better. That'll be oh, a yes. great opportunity to do that. And plus, one. we're planning to cash out, you know, and get the money out and in keep investing that keep yep. keep it flowing. On the software side, I think people probably. Be pretty familiar with what like that old school management expense would cost on hiring someone to oversee everything and do that, that old school method. What would somebody be looking at for software costs to automate something? What, what would the bill be on something like that? Um, so it's interesting. So, uh, it's pretty, um, it's not that expensive. Um, so the, the current software that we're using and we're planning on switching and, uh, and if anybody's interested, you can reach out to me. I can give you the names. I don't want to be really saying names here, but we're paying right now only about hundred dollars a month uh, for uh, the software. But again, wow. when you yes, and then no, I know there's other options that can be two hundred, but they have they're including more things uh, such as we have what we offer tenant insurance. So tenant insurance with that software that comes, they only allow to use their tenant insurance, and they're making uh, 
70-30% split. So they're making 70% and we're making 30%. Where with other software, they give you freedom to choose whatever tenant insurance you want to use, where we can make 70% and 30%. So there's advantages. Mm -hmm. And the same as card processing, let's say. They, this software only allows you to use their card processing, which is higher fees, where we can't go with anybody else who can lower our fees and making those expenses. So there's different options in the market to choose, definitely uh, comparing them, but there's one that's really right now developing and we're probably gonna be switching to that one. Well, it's, it's encouraging to know that it's not a crazy amount either, because I, I think a lot of people that are familiar with some softwares, it just gets so prohibitively expensive uh, before you know it, you're paying a huge chunk of your revenue just to software. So it's good to know that there's a lot of options out there. We'll put your contact information in the description as well, so people can reach out to you on that. I still want to keep going if you're good for time, because I still have more oh, questions. Oh, totally. I mean, I love, I get lost. And when we're talking about storage, I just lost time. Well, get lost <laughs> well, i'm the same way what i find so remarkable about you is that you're so passionate about it and you've committed just becoming an expert that i think people can get a lot of value just from your enthusiasm for this space uh so i i want to dump into a few questions that have come up already uh and Wyatt, if you can start with uh darren's uh about staying competitive because i think that's a great question uh the, uh that's the one yes how do you stay competitive against funds, REITs, basically just institutional groups that have have scale? How do you how do you compete against those guys? Of course, I mean we have public storage, we have CubeSmart. Um, one thing that we do, and this is what I love, really, we have um, there is a co-op existing storage which called Store Local. So it's a collaboration of uh, owners that come together and compete against those. REITs, those big guys. Because what's happening, if you look at the hotel industry, it's all pretty much taken over by big guys. And they all, you, it's nearly impossible. I mean, not impossible, but buying a large hotel and opening somewhere a large hotel and having that mom and pop large hotel. You don't see that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, with cell storage, we still, there's a lot of large, huge uh, storages that own by small operators. I'm not gonna call them public, by small operators. So these small operators came together and organized this co-op. So now I'm also, I became also part of this co-op. And now we're together, we're going to have the, how you call it, uh, the buying power in a way. So it's instead of, let's say, in, even an insurance company. An insurance company, you have small guys, oh, we need this quote, we need this for this, for this. Mm -hmm. Instead, we all come together, we need this, and we come and bring a big check here you go. And they're obviously getting more excited and then giving, giving us a discount. So we're together trying to compete against big guys, big REITs that have that economies of scale. They have opportunity because they have so many facilities. They can pay the big buck to those Google ads yep. where we come together, what we can do. So we are small operators. We're not against each other. We're really together. We're trying to actually don't let the industry completely become uh, taken over by big companies. So this is obviously one thing. And then just in general, if you buy yourself in a market, typically they, they used to not go to small markets. Now they started coming there too. But what's happening when you're in a market with CubeSmart, CubeSmart actually uh, raises the standards and raises the rents. Hmm. So now you can like kind of go along with them 
and get those larger rents. Uh, so it sometimes can be an advantage. If you have all mom and pop, if you enter the market and all mom and pop and they all charge low, and then you're the one that show up and start charging high, they will be all shocked. They will be all maybe try to follow you a little bit. But when you have CubeSmart, that guy probably already put, put that higher rent. And now you can follow. And then everybody in the market, so they raise that market rent rate up to. And you sometimes you can also offer that personalization more, right? That personal experiences if someone wants and offer some special what that market demands and listen more to the uh to the population so there's a few ways but i think like all asset classes i experience in that is dealing with them that uh, all that money that it's in the market right now it becomes harder to get deals even when i entered it was now i realize how much easier it was to find a deal than right now and it's it's coming across all the asset classes. So self-storage is not special there. We, we also there. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Just before we jumped on this call, I, I saw in the news that WP Carey, the big uh, industrial property owner in, in the US, just made a $2.7 billion acquisition, including a I, good I, chunk I, of self-storage. So it's, it's a competitive space. It's everything from like that small mom and pop, like you mentioned, all the way up to this big institutional money. I, I like the fact that you made about uh, things that you can do to personalize it. You can be much more nimble. You can make a decision which will be impactful immediately versus the bureaucracy and red tape that a big company has to go through. So I think there's a ton of opportunities. Uh, great question, Darren. Great answer, Masha. Uh, I saw there's a couple more questions. If we could hit the next one by Darren as well, because that's a great question. And then we'll get to the one by Neil. Uh, so course. SBA loans, can, can you use SBA loans in self-storage? Totally. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. A hundred percent there. You can definitely get a high leverage. So you can get 85 or 90%. So you only hmm. can invest 10 or 15%. So which is great. It's great for expansion of construction, also projects, as well as buying existing facilities. But you need to be prepared for long process. So that's sometimes when you buy in a facility, you don't have that time of uh, three months while SBA gets all the paperwork and get it all together and Sometimes sellers are not willing to deal with three months window of closing the deal. Sometimes somebody just told me that it took six months. I don't know how much you would like. So sometimes they want to just sell one month, one month. Let's just get it done. So you don't have the option. Uh, yeah. Sometimes also being high leverage is not the best thing, right? So it depends on what your investment strategy. Uh, they have also higher fees. They have fees for refinancing, right? They have... When you get it in, there's higher fees and all the paperwork that you also need to put in. They're really looking much deeper in you, who you are as a person and how much, um, like, looking at what assets right now. You, I mean, it's definitely much more annoying process, much more in-depth and much longer. But it, so many people had great. And we wanted to do it. Uh, we, there were some just hurdles for us, but it's really possible. Yes. Yeah, that was so well explained. And you can tell that you're an active investor because you, you've you looked at this as, yes, if you can get a higher loan-to-value mortgage, uh, then then you're putting less money down. But there's all those impediments to it about delays and, and the pr process of getting it uh, versus a seller, like you said, might just want to say, listen, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's self-storage. It's not like you're buying a multi-tenant uh, high-rise building. This is pretty straightforward to do your due diligence on. We just want to get paid. We don't, we're not going to tie this up for six months. So uh, there's definitely pros and cons to that. That was, that was well said. 
Uh, question from Neil that came up. If you can pull that one up, Wyatt. Uh, great question. What was the impact of the pandemic regarding the storage sector? Did it go up, down, any expected outcomes? I mean, storage, unexpectedly, no, not that very unexpectedly, but did so well. Uh, they said industry on average, and the rent went up about 20%. Wow. I mean, if I'm not maybe 10%, I'm not going to drop exact number here, but I know it's everybody start becoming full. So it's what storage is. It's an event uh, type of asset. So an event means when somebody get divorced, somebody, so it's four Ds, divorce, died, uh, disposition, and um, something else, the fourth one, I forgot right now, but it's basically an, an event when something people are, uh, disposition, disloca dislocation, people are moving, right? Mm -hmm. So what happened during COVID? People moved. People started moving to Florida. Uh, they need to put their things somewhere. People start moving to Texas, to Arizona, from California. All that movement creates storage usage. Then people uh, were actually divorcing. People were dying. People were uh, trying to save money and move to their parents. And they need to store their things somewhere. And then what also happened? Amazon. Everybody just start buying things too. Uh, people start dropping the check from the government. Oh, I have this additional money. Let me buy more stuff. And on top of that, let me tell you, our boat and RV storage is so much booming. This is what I'm also looking at. I wish I can clone myself and have a more marshes working on the project. Otherwise, I would be doing right now a boat and RV too, but which is still focusing this asset class, right? It's just kind of sub subcategory. People couldn't travel. They start buying RVs insanely. There was shortage of there's been shortage of RVs. People now start living in RVs. They love travel and just living in their RVs. So there's super high demand in that sector as well. So last, I mean, 2022 is start going up. 2021 was going up. And now this year, we're also expecting to go up a little bit, most definitely. And it's it's super hot. It's something that people just aware. I think it's also that awareness like people hear about storage and now you're going to think about like you passing by storage. Oh yeah, I can now actually store my things somewhere. And now even some people contact me, Marsha, they just increased my rent again. What can I do? Like, that's what we do too. And our properties we increase the rents. It's just when you have a hundred percent occupancy, how can you, what you can do, you're going to raise everybody's rent. And then now you see who can afford it, who cannot, those people leave and now you fill in everybody who can afford so so far it has amazing but at the same time being very careful now there's a lot of markets that become overbuilt people just oh storage is so cool let me go build storage here and they just without in-depth analysis and understanding building somewhere where someone else is building across of them and then when they open up they both open i mean it's times and they both need to fill out those facilities and this is where business fails. So, yes, that's a bit off topic on that, but it, I somewhat related. How important is exposure, like having a retail presence for self-storage versus being tucked away off a main road? So for many years, as of how the model was known, self-storage, you need to be on main road. You need to be on main road and you be visible. However, research so far has been shown that most people don't come even from seeing on the street is really from Google. Mm -hmm. So Google is your number one exposure is 
what like chat tell me right now if you would decide like you need to like put some things in storage are you gonna go drive around or trying to remember the last facility you saw i mean most likely just like we'll pull up your phone and like storage you will just put storage storage near me right that's, that's how i and get it yep. the, exactly so this yep. is where that exposure i would say is so much important being on the main road i mean you never can grow wrong with that but i think it's you can get so much opportunity if you know what you're doing with your with your Google Google business profile page and your website SEO search engine optimization. Yeah, and the, well, the reason I ask is you mentioned that you were looking to acquire retail buildings, and the thought just occurred to me that from industrial properties are often tucked away in industrial parks by the very nature of being industrial. But quite often, you can find an industrial property a lot less expensive than a retail property just because the land is is less expensive. So I was just wondering if like if, if that's a viable opportunity is if getting an, an older industrial property, which is perhaps underperforming and, and retrofitting that to be self storage. Totally. This is actually second uh, type of asset that you convert into storage. So, but usually you don't want them to be tucked away uh, because you want them to be maybe on a more like edge of industrial park. I would say, how do I say, like you know, not in the yep. depth on the, of it. Yeah, periphery of it. Just because yep. again, those industrial parks they're usually pretty big. So people when they do storage near me, uh, they don't want to be going somewhere like like those. Sometimes those industrial parks can get uh very industrial so yeah. when you store in this your personal belongings you know and there's more women rent storage than men oh, so interesting. yeah there's statistically wise that's why you want to make it appealing you want to make it also secure you want to have it well lead because this is most likely a woman who's making that choice they're the one who wants to get these things out of the house and yeah. uh you want it to be like in a also area where it's not like an industrial for women, you know, I mean, some, let's say, come to industrial park and then the area, it's going to be, they won't choose that location, actually. So Great insight. Yes. Yeah. But totally when it's on a more edge of industrial park, yes. And chart, if you ever come across any warehouse that's underperforming, that could be like, uh, I mean, I would say 50,000 square feet, you know, a hundred thousand square i mean below a hundred thousand square feet i would say would be more safe you know uh mm -hmm. let me know let's convert it into storage <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I love the idea of it like you've totally inspired me to look at self-storage uh to add to my own portfolio because I've, I've traditionally just gone after either single or multi-tenant uh industrial properties but i love the idea I expect because I, I was under the misconception that they were so management intensive mm -hmm. but uh like you you've convinced me to to explore this more uh i i do want to leave some time for uh other questions if if uh people have anything to ask about uh masha i still have a, a question as well uh but if anyone does please put it in the chat and it, it was piggybacking off that conversation is is finding properties how how are you sourcing especially being out of state and you're looking at all these uh inland markets how are you sourcing properties right now and how can how can people do the same yeah so my always strategy was is relationships mm -hmm. so uh is building those relationships and so far all my opportunities came from building relationships it's been uh having a, a reputation right uh people for me was goal when i was starting storage is like I want people to think about Masha and think about self storage or the other way around. And what happened after like a year, someone like passing by self storage, they're like, Oh, Masha, I just passed by self storage. I thought of you. 
like perfect. So that's association is happening. So you, you want to be talking, right? Obviously it's, you never know what can everybody bring. So obviously those two deals I got from wholesalers. So they knew they, and they got, uh, they gave me this opportunity where right now this third one, what's happening is again, there's, there's, uh, this guys that I know from mastermind, uh, just a real estate investing mastermind. So there's all type of, and I think I'm the only one that does storage in that big, I mean, it's different nights, different, it's a big mastermind. And they found a multifamily property that they, they're, they're under contract and they're acquiring. And there's a huge parking lot there and huge parking lot. Why waste it just for par- like, there's no need too much parking spaces. Hmm. And they're like, Ooh, could be a good idea to build storage there. And then who they think right away about Masha. So that's why Masha will be building a storage in uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio. I'm so funny. I'm calling myself Masha. But anyways, yeah. So this is where relationships are. It's really talking about it. Talking maybe you never know. I found some deals. If you're in single family space, some realtors sometimes even put uh, storage. Uh, they find storage and they will try to sell it. So you can kind of do you right away to your uh, network and see, oh, if you ever come across storage, let me know if you, and just start speaking about it. But mm-hmm. now I'm also start pursuing a second, just starting right now, second strategy is direct to seller. So it's direct to seller. I have my virtual assistants who are helping me out and uh, uh, they will start helping me with direct to seller. So this strategy, I'm just starting to work on right now and excited because this will be avoiding that middle person and, uh, get even better price and being able to build that rapport actually with seller. Cause now I really understand self storage and I can really talk to them and see why, why they would, would be interested in selling and what they want. What's their purpose. And, and that's a, the next question. You, you keep uh, teeing this up for my questions because you, you, you keep uh, bringing something up. And I'm like, that's exactly what I wanted to ask next. And that was <laughs> you being an expert on the topic. You mentioned that you went to like a ton of webinars, podcasts. How would you, recommend to someone that's just exploring this and and i'm i'm asking my from my own standpoint as well how would you recommend someone starts gaining not necessarily the same level of expertise that you've already achieved but get going down that road of trying to get there one day oh yeah for sure i mean first of all i'm starting my actually coaching i realized that there were so many people reaching out for help and uh it's i realized that i need i have so much amount of time to get with everybody on the call and help them out. So uh, I started right now creating systems and actually creating different material that I start sharing with people. I have right now, I developed my own underwriting model. So now I start sharing. If I have everybody interest, anybody interested, I have a, a free version that I'm sharing of uh, the kind of back of the napkin analysis. So that's a back of the napkin analysis, meaning you get the most important information, but you can come up with offer price. So sometimes those big models of underwriting, they're great, but you get caught up with paralysis by analysis. You get caught up with all those huge several pages, sheets of spreadsheet and, and you get overwhelmed and then already the deal is gone. And sometimes you want to be that quick, quick. So I'm sharing that. So, and I'm also giving um, a list of resources. Where should I go? I have some, I was the, I was there before and I, I just start, completely taking all information possible from online. There is a great podcast by AJ. I would first recommend definitely AJ Osborne. He has a podcast. It's a great place to start 
He's, uh, it's called Self Storage Income. He has a podcast. He has an amazing book, which is called Build Wealth Through Self Storage, I believe. Bestseller, also him. And he also has his own like circle. So he's also a great uh, person to be uh, re- to start researching. I would say he's a top leader right now. And he's so much giving. He's giving away a lot of just free information right there. Oh, that's awesome. We'll put links to that in the description. And then for your coaching and the free resources and the additional ones, uh, is that available on your website? Yes, totally. Definitely. You can even go to like my uh, Instagram. I have a link for that uh, uh, where you can get all that. Just to reach out, go to my website and I'll give you my website and you can get all the information there. Okay. That's awesome. I, I saw one more question from Darren and I did want to get to that one just because I First of all, appreciate all the questions you've asked, Darren. And I think this is just a great one to end on. Uh, do you know about the contracts with U-Haul and other places? So uh, maybe what you're alluding to, Darren, is is there ways of making additional revenue or, or what happens, I suppose, if you get tied in with some of these contracts? So yeah, I can talk about U-Haul in several matters here, actually. Um, definitely, we have ancillary incomes. So I was talking earlier that you can offer a tenant insurance and make that split and make that ancillary income. You can sell boxes and tapes and stuff like that, right, too, which I'm completely against because it means you have to have a person there sitting selling boxes and tapes. Uh, I think we have better things to do than selling boxes and tapes. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have maybe like huge facility and you have really someone that's taking care of there all the time, maybe it's a model that works, but typically it doesn't really work anymore. Where I see where Darren is going, it's rent, offering truck rental. And it could be U-Haul, could be Penske or other any. The beautiful part of it that you are not, you don't need to be a buyer truck. You just contract them. And they put their truck on your facility or trucks or however it is, and you can have a Dropbox. So there's again no human involved. So they have you have a Dropbox for keys, and there's people who are picking up the truck. They can get the access to that Dropbox, and they get that keys. So it's the beautiful part of it. It's um helps for you to bring more income, but also attracts more people. So if someone who needs to rent a U-Haul, sometimes you have like U-Haul locations. They're not really you hold uh, large like locations it's only like a few trucks they're renting you can have just one even like let's say you if it doesn't have space but you can even offer one truck and it will still attract people because somebody who wants to do a self storage but they need the truck they may go to you instead of someone who doesn't have truck so it's mm. and again you're also making the additional income where you hold is taking care of all that part or any other rent or uh, truck rental company but you can make uh it's it's a beautiful business model for sure we just yeah. and our both properties we haven't had we already have a competitor who offers you whole right there next door to us so it didn't really make sense so it's really researching what would make sense and not sometimes also like talking about auxiliary income you can put a billboard and billboard mm. is a great also income they can be selling for like a thousand dollars a month you know, that space for advertising depends on your location and what the market needs. So there's several, you can have just even propane station. Uh, sometimes if you have a large facility in somewhere more like rare, uh, rural area, you can put a cell tower. So there's different options to explore. Plus you can always put an office of maybe office and offering some type of printing services, you know, uh, um, notorious office or anything, whatever that market depends, you can offer that. 
you've you've opened my eyes to how just big and and much opportunity there is in self-storage so we're gonna have to keep in touch and might have to uh have you on the show again somewhere down the road because i we, we didn't even get to talk about your new development and that'll be very interesting to follow going forward as well most, most definitely chad most definitely and thank you so much i totally enjoyed w watching and listening to your shows they're so like in depth talking about supply and chain is so interesting how it's all interconnected so thank you for providing for all that value to everybody oh yeah thank you masha you're right it is totally interconnected so thank you once again for coming on we'll put links to uh every everywhere you can get in contact with you and i'd encourage people to reach out if they have any questions or want to do some of the coaching you can tell how much passion and expertise masha has for the topic so masha thank you once again and hope to keep in touch for sure chat thank you okay thanks masha